0: Hello and welcome to The Curious Creative. This is Nicolette and it's on Riverside Radio and it's great to be here again, yay! As you know, I'm Nicolette and this is the local radio show that supports the creative in learning who they are so that they can successfully do what they do. Is that you? This week, I'd like to talk about uncertainty. I'd like to talk about uncertainty and the anxiety and fear that often accompanies it. What makes you anxious? What makes you feel fearful? And sometimes we don't actually know that what we're feeling is fear because it manifests and shows its way itself in different ways. And if we don't identify it and deal with it, we have an extreme. And that extreme is worst case scenario, suicidal thoughts. And mega worst case scenario is taking action on it with a suicide attempt. Now this week, I've come across uh, a few creatives who are dealing with a lot of fallout of their thoughts, which seem to be holding them really captive. They're anxious, they're scared, and they're overconsumed to the point of despair. And the biggest thing that's come out of what I've heard and seen this week is that they're so deep in their emotional mire that they feel like there's no hope, absolutely no hope. And something that I've realized on my own life journey is that we need hope to live. And it really breaks my heart to see another being in so much turmoil, not caused by circumstances out of their control, but caused because they actually feel helpless. They feel powerless to create change. There's an inability to successfully manage their emotions there. And there's also a fixed mindset, which just means they don't see that there's any other way. And it allows no room for change when you have that. They're blind to another way of thinking and another way of being. The thing is, you don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. But knowing could save your life. So in today's show, I'd like to address the fact that some of us are driven to suicidal thoughts due to anxiety, due to fear, due to depression. It's a delicate subject, I know, but that doesn't scare me. Some of us may attempt suicide as a cry for help, or perhaps it's a way out. And there are a multitude of other reasons, of course. In 2017, the Samaritans actually had stats printed which stated that there were over 6,000 suicides in that year with men three times as likely as women. And I think the more we talk about this, the more we expose this. There are some wonderful people out there already doing this, and I want to be part of that great group who believe that there can be change. The more we talk about it, the more we expose it, the more we ask questions about it, the more solutions we can create and we can do that together. So in the time we've got together on this show today, I'd like to offer you a new perspective, a different perspective on the way you're presently thinking, if it's creating emotional turmoil for you, that way that you're presently thinking. And to assist you, if that's where you presently are, or maybe as a preventative measure for future unpleasant thoughts and feelings. So if that's where you're at today, or if you know someone who is in that situation where they cannot see the wood for the trees, and they honestly believe that their present situation is the only situation, I really implore to you that you let them know about this show, this will be a podcast, and you invite them to listen to it at a later date if they're not already listening to it now. So to begin, I'd like to share a couple of stories with you, and these are some stories that I came across this week that totally inspired me and I thought that I I hope they inspire you too. So there were two American suicide survivors called Ken Baldwin and Kevin Hines and they were fortunate enough to survive a suicide attempt each brought on by loss of hope and feelings of despair. And what's enlightening about this is that their survival gives us an insight into what they actually experienced during the attempt process. Because usually, if it's successful, we don't find out what that person was really feeling, thinking at the moment of committing suicide. So suicidal death usually means our insight is completely lost. So in September 2000, Kevin Hines, he was 19 years old when he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco. And he jumped off it because he couldn't see another way of being. He was living with bipolar disorder and he actually felt a real burden to his family and he felt truly useless. So one day, on that day, he went to the bridge and he stood by the railings and he made a pact that if just one person, just one person asked him if he was okay, if something was wrong or if they could help him in some way, he would tell them everything that was going on and he would beg for their help. But no one did. No one stopped and no one asked him and people walked on by until a tourist approached him and gave him some hope. And when she spoke, she asked him if he could take a picture of her and he was absolutely crushed. He took a picture of her and he ran up the railings and he jumped. Now, The minute his body left the bridge, he says that he was filled with immense regret. He didn't want to die. He suddenly felt that it could all be okay, that there could be another way. He wanted to live, and now no one would ever know that as he descends. He hit the water... Uh, feet first in a position that was like a seat in a seated position. And he literally fell 223 feet from the bridge. And if you think of miles per hour, about 75 miles per hour on the way down. So that's Kevin Hines. Ken Baldwin in 1985, he's married with a three-year-old daughter when he jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge. He told his wife, actually, that he'd be at home a little later that evening, knowing full well he was never going to go home again. So he was living with deep depression and he couldn't see any other way apart from, I need out. So he drove to the bridge. He put his hands on the railings. He counted to 10, but he couldn't jump. He counted again and this time. He simply catapulted himself off the bridge. Now, the minute he jumped off, he said it was the stupidest thing he'd ever done. Once he hit the water, he absolutely passed out. He came to in the water, and he thought of the irony, he says, he says, now that he had decided to live, he wanted to live, he was most probably gonna die from drowning. But fortunately, he was saved by Coast Guards and he survived with a collapsed lung and lots of bruising. So let's go back to 19-year-old Kevin. He broke his back upon hitting the water, but he forced himself to rise to the water's surface and he decided that he wanted to live. Now, when they were interviewed, both men were asked what they would say to themselves in reflection of their near-death experience. Kevin said he would tell himself to talk to his dad. He would ask his dad if he was a burden. And he knew now, in hindsight, that his dad would say no. He would tell his dad about his suicidal thoughts because he knew now, in hindsight, that his dad would do everything he could to ensure that he managed those feelings. His dad would not let him go. And he'd remind himself that somewhere in the future, there's a beautiful woman waiting to marry him, that his dad would give him away, and that that there was so much to live for. But at the time, unfortunately, he couldn't see it. Now, Ken had a a three-year-old daughter at the time, and he said he would tell himself that there is life and there is hope. He'd remind himself that He wouldn't get to see his daughter get married. He wouldn't get to give her away. He wouldn't meet his grandchild. All of these things happened. And these are true stories. They're based on real life experiences. You can go to to YouTube. You can see them being interviewed. They really happened. But they're here to be able to share with us that suicide actually isn't the answer, that there is another way. Both of these men at the time couldn't see another way to live because of the stories they were telling themselves at the time and the meaning that they attached to their experiences. And it it sounds like many of those stories were not even true based on what they have reflected back to us. You know, their mind was literally, if you don't have an answer, your mind will create an answer. There's a part in the midbrain that will do that. So they had created these stories because they didn't actually know what the answers are because Kevin hadn't asked his, his dad, you know, am I a burden? So he made up an answer. And poor Ken, you know, he didn't know how he was going to get out of his depression. So I'm sure he asked himself a question and the answer was go to the bridge and jump off. But it's not true. The Nepalese teacher, Yongi Mingyur Rinpoche, who follows the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, he talks about three categories of relationships that we can have with our experiences because they had an untrue relationship with their experience. And when we come back, I'm going to share those with you. Welcome back. And you're listening to Nicolette, the Curious Creative on Riverside Radio. Now, the Nepalese teacher, Yonggi Mingyu in Bosch, who follows the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, talks about three categories of relationships that we have with our experiences. Number one is when we allow our experience to dictate what we feel, what we think and what we do, that relationship is about it being our boss. Number two, when we fight against our experiences by blocking them out and distancing from them, we actually make them our enemy. And that can be anything like taking drugs, taking alcohol, etc. and just finding a way to ensure you don't connect with them. And when we meet our experiences with a sense of curiosity, a sense of allowance, a sense of kindness, we create a friend with our emotions and our experiences, and they become our friend and our ally. So the first one is about the relationship that we have with our experiences, where we allow it to be our boss, when we let it dictate what we think feel or do. The second one is when we actually just block them out and say I don't want a part of it. I don't want to know about you. What can I do, take, be to make sure that I don't recognize you and experience you? And then they're your enemy. So you're constantly fighting against them. That's a lot of energy. And then the last one is where we meet our experiences with a sense of curiosity, a sense of allowance. So just letting it be and a sense of absolute kindness We can make them our friends, and we make somebody our friends. What's it like when you've got a friend? You kind of work together, don't you? You always want to have some kind of a resolution where you're both happy, where things work. And that's where it's advised that we go to with our emotions, the relationship we have with our experiences, that we start to take time to understand what's going on with ourselves in order to understand that relationship with what's going on around us. And the point that Yongi Migyo is saying here is that we have a say about the quality of our experiences. Because remember, the experience can't change. You know, what goes on around you can't change. If you're running for a bus and you miss the bus, that has happened. But how you respond to it, how you deal with it, how you interpret it, how you see that it can impact you you've got control over that and that will determine your behavior and what happens next oh going back to the golden gate bridge just so you know in 2021 so that's in the future next year they're actually going to put barriers up to prevent future suicide attempts so here's what you should know about how to manage your emotions before the emotion there's actually a thought yeah so before you have an emotion There's a thought, so if there's a sense of sadness, which is your emotion, your feeling, before you realized all the sadness came on, there was a thought, something caused you, triggered you to feel that way. And in between the thought and the emotion, there is this visceral, this internal gut area, physical response that acts as a warning. It's telling you that something is not quite right. Now we're so distracted by external experiences and influences and distractions that we have become disconnected with that natural response to when our body isn't happy, when our mind isn't happy. So for some it's in the gut. I know for me I feel it in my tummy. For others it's in the throat. They get a bit tight there or they get dry or they find they can't express themselves. Or For others, it's in the heart space. It feels tight and held and numb, or maybe it's somewhere else for you. Where do you start to feel your warning sign that maybe you're not even aware of it? And now you think of it, you're like, oh, my hands get get clammy when X, Y and Z happens. You know, where do you feel it? So what you need to know about managing your emotions is that before the emotion there's a thought in between the thought and the emotion, there's this deep visceral response, physical that acts as a warning. And what you need to do now is you need to catch it. You need to catch it and then you're in control. Ignore it and it controls you and it becomes your boss. So you've got to go right back to the start. When you've exploded, when you've cried, when you've had your uh, external demonstration of how you're feeling, that's right at the other end. You've got to come right back before you get to that so that you don't get to that. So in order to master your emotions, you must check in with them. Get to know your emotions. They are your friend. They're there to support you, to guide you, to underpin you. Be curious about what they're telling you because they are telling you something. That's why they're there, it's a message. And like I said, we're distracted so we don't pay attention, but also, As we grow up, we're not encouraged to connect to our emotions. You know, boys are told, don't cry, don't get upset, be this way. Girls are told, oh, it's okay to cry. But if you do it too much, you're hysterical, you're neurotic. So you're labeled in some way. What if we just connected with our emotions and didn't have connections uh, attached to them? You know, if we cry, we cry. If we're angry, we're angry. And there isn't this additional story attached to the whole experience. So how do you recognize your emotions? And if you're someone listening that just thinks, I don't know. How do you recognize your emotions if they're a stranger to you? I mean, think about this. It takes practice. It definitely takes practice. If you've been behaving in a way for a duration of time, you've got to undo that. And the only way to undo it is to do something different and ideally something that will replace it and that will serve you. So you've got to practice with the little things in life. Th- think about a tornado. When you're in the middle of a tornado, it's kind of hard to close the front door, isn't it? I mean, in fact, it's absolutely futile. So you need to practice with those little things in life for when the big things happen. You don't to wait until you're in the mire of stuff because you're not going to be able to see anything because all you see is your approach to what's going on. It's like... Taking time to check in emotionally with yourself at different times. So when you wake up or when you're sitting on the tube, the underground, or when you're driving at the lights or at the zebra crossing, letting someone pass, uh, having a coffee or just simply being still, which I don't think we do enough of, by the way. So here's a simple way that you can do this, because the question is, how do I do that? If I don't know my emotions, if I'm disconnected, to them, with them, how the hell can I recognize them? It's like walking along the street and someone walking past. If you don't know or recognize or even connect with that person previously, how are you gonna know when they walk past you? You're not gonna recognize them, are you? And it's the same with our emotions. So practice, so how are you gonna practice? A simple way to do this is to, if you go online and you tap into your favorite search engine and you tap in emotions list, you will see several either images or uh, PDFs or ways that you can download uh, an emotions list. And you want to do that, print it, and carry it around with you. Yes, carry it around with you, I did say that. You could also take a picture of it for your phone if you don't want the tangible piece of paper. And you can just open it up during those check-in times. When you do that, when remember you're doing this not when you are in the midst of whatever it is you're experiencing you're doing this before practicing so that when that time comes you can recognize before you get to that midst of emotion and you can just pull out or open up your emotions list and when you do that what are you going to do next then Well, you're going to ask yourself how you're feeling in that moment. You know, when I say that, it sounds so therapeutic in a room with a therapist saying, how do you feel? Stroke, stroke. It's not meant to come across in that way. It's very practical. It's a question that's going to get you an answer that's going to serve you. Often when we ask questions, we ask questions that don't serve us. And that's why we go spiraling into this negative emotional tirade. Your questions need to be powerful. They need to take you to the next step of where you want to be going, not allow you to feel worse than you presently do. So be careful of the questions that you ask, okay? And this is one question that will support you. Ask yourself how you're feeling in that moment. How do I feel? You know, what's really going on? And then be curious about what you find. So the curiosity is going to allow you to ask more questions. I feel a bit upset. What do I feel upset about? I feel upset that he didn't accept my invitation. But why does that bother me? So really dig deep into what is going on with you and ask yourself questions that will create some clarity. Ask yourself questions that will allow you to see the truth and stay clear of judgment, okay? We are our biggest judge. Would you put judgment, hear this, would you put judgment and shame on a log fire for being hot? It's just doing what it does, isn't it? It's generating heat, it's burning, it's creating energy. That's what fire does. happens to be in a hearth, maybe in someone's home, uh, with logs. But the fire itself generates heat, it burns, and it creates energy. Our minds are the same. They're just doing what they do when you go into your emotional tirades. They're keeping you safe in some way. Unlike the brain, which is physical and tangible, you know, if you did an autopsy, you could take out the brain, you could see it. The mind is invisible and it's filled with thoughts and judgments and feelings and attitudes and beliefs. This is what it does. This is what the mind does it wants to judge it wants to make decisions it wants to feel it wants to have a belief on something just like snow is cold and water is wet are you going to judge it for doing what it does so putting shame on your mind you know talking negatively about what you're thinking isn't going to help the situation once you understand that this is what the mind does, you know, you talk about meditation and people think, when I meditate, oh, I find it so hard to meditate because I just keep thinking because there's so many thoughts going in my head. And from their understanding, meditation is about stopping the thoughts. No thinking at all, empty head, empty mind. Well, I've got news for you. <laughs> that actually is not what it's about. You know, when we meditate, it's about reconnecting with our emotions and thoughts. It's about hearing what's going on in the background. You're like a computer in the background. You've got all these different things in the background supporting what you see on the actual screen. You don't know they're there until they ask you to update or to do something else, but they're there. And this is what the mind does. Its function is to think. Its function is to create solutions. Its function is to allow you to be who you are, but you don't have to listen to everything it comes up with. You have the ability to choose. So putting shame on it for being itself is absolutely pointless because it won't ever stop doing what it does for as long as you can breathe. You can't see or touch it, but you can experience it. And that is what you can control your experience of the mind. Your control of the ability to choose. Not by hating the mind for what it is, but by loving it for what it does. It keeps you safe. That's its ultimate. You know, from way back historically, when we needed to survive, when we needed to eat, when we need to run away from danger, that's what that back pile of our brain will do to keep us safe. And anytime we do something new, get a new job or apply for a new job never mind get the new job or you know try something different <gasps> oh my gosh oh i got to keep her safe oh my gosh you couldn't go there and it will do everything and make you feel like you cannot do it that your self-worth is not big enough and that you don't have the ability or capability to move forwards and some people listen to it and they stay small and they stay mediocre others understand that this is what the brain does and they tap into the more evolved part of the brain the front part of the brain And that part of the brain loves to plan, loves to schedule, loves to organize. And that will allow you, when you tap into that and override that default of survival of the back brain, that front part of the brain will allow you to move forwards because you're in control now. But you don't deny what's going on in the background. You don't try and push it away. You just talk to it nicely. You you just, "I, I get it. I get it. You're scared for me. It's okay. I've got this. Let me take control of this. You don't need to take control, thank you. All with love, just like a child, when it keeps opening the gate that you've asked it to close. You don't shout at it and berate it and put the fear of whatever in it. You work with it for it to understand what's going on. So the brain keeps you safe and your attitudes, beliefs and experiential interpretations, they give you the choice because you don't have to listen to them. That's the choice. You can choose to act on them. You can choose not to, coming up with an alternative that is more serving. So you don't have to listen and act on every thought that comes your way. Did you know that? Did you realize that? That when you think something, it doesn't actually mean it's the truth? So something that I found quite profound when I was evolving myself you know, years ago is that you don't have to believe what you presently believe you know, we go through life thinking that who we are now and what we are now is it. We don't think of the mind and its plasticity of constantly changing the brain, constantly changing every single day and the ability to be different tomorrow than you are today. And so I really want to reinforce, if you come away with anything today, for you to realize that whatever turmoil emotionally you might be going through right now, there is a a phrase, is saying that says, and this too shall pass. Nothing lasts forever, okay? Everything comes to an end, whether it's cyclical or just finished. So it will pass, and you don't have to believe what you presently believe. You can find a different way, and that's what I aim to be doing with this show, is offering you different ways of being, of living, of thinking. Now, one way is um, what Carol Dweck talks about. She's a psychologist and she talks about the growth mindset. The belief that your life experiences, especially the traumatic ones, are an opportunity for learning and for insight. That your life situations have one of two outcomes. Number one, confusion and misery. That's an option that you can take. And number two, clarity and satisfaction. That's a second option, a second choice. Now with a growth mindset, you can decide because it's about the attitude you choose to take. You can decide whether or not I wanna stay in confusion and misery. And sometimes, believe it or not, confusion and misery can make us feel safe and can make us feel okay. And we stay in it for those reasons, even though it's not serving us until we become aware of that. Or you can go for clarity and satisfaction, which then propels us into action and creating the change that we want. Now, the reason that the above exercise that I've given you, the uh, connecting with your emotions exercise, with your piece of paper or your upload on your phone or uh, a technological device uh, is so powerful, is because when you attach your negative emotions to your experiences without any awareness that you're doing it, it's like, you know, when you're driving and you go on automatic pilot and you suddenly realize that you're, at the supermarket because you normally go to the supermarket every evening after work and actually tonight you didn't want to you wanted to go straight home yeah so w- when you are doing stuff without any kind of awareness you're unconsciously setting yourself up for something that is not very good because you don't see anything coming and once you're at the end of that lack of awareness you're already in it so now you've got to dig yourself out It's like having a remote control with as many of those emotions which are not serving you as buttons. So the buttons are those emotions and then handing that remote control to the world for them to press as they wish. Because that's what some of you do. You know, uh, you live with someone and they come into the room and they've had a bad day and they're rude to you or they're miserable or their energy is down. And you let them affect who you are at that moment. And maybe you start to mirror their energy because you don't want to be too jolly, because you don't want to appear a certain way by being really happy when they're so sad. Maybe you collude with them and even though you're quite happy, yeah I had a bad day too, but actually you didn't. Letting someone else control your emotions. If you've had a good day and you're all good, of course you There needs to be a sense of compassion for what they're going through and a sense of judgment as to whether you want to shout it at the rooftops, but it shouldn't affect how you are at that time. On the other hand, a positive look at life from a growth mindset where you're not allowing the world to control your emotions, so a positive look at life from a growth mindset, where it's irrespective of the experience, whether it's good or bad, is the start towards success is a start towards mastering your emotions because you've got the remote control now and the buttons are positive choices. You've decided to put those on there or you choose not to press the negative ones if they're still on the remote. So a really extreme example of this is Tyler Curry's attitude towards his contracting HIV. And I'm gonna tell you all about that right after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Nicolette on The Curious Creative and I really hope that today's show is in some way serving you. Now an extreme example of a growth mindset. Carol Dweck, psychologist, she's talking about really having a mindset that allows you to believe that everything is possible and that where you are doesn't have to be what it is right now. So an extreme example of that is Tyler Curry. He is a columnist and an LGBT activist who's attitude to his experience of contracting HIV is actually quite outstanding and an inspiration to many of us. It's the best thing that happened to him, because for him, he has decided and created an attitude that it makes him value life, that it assists him to remember each moment and to take time to enjoy his journey. That's a story that he's decided to write for something that for someone else could actually feel quite tragic and he refers to it as the catalyst that pushes him from safe to the incredible now what tyler has done is he has replaced all of his remote control buttons remember that analogy with the word learning yeah so our experiences are about learning and his approach is that everything he experiences in life is learning and that life is his teacher now that's an attitude and a belief And it could be a completely different belief, which would give him a different approach to life. So what does all that I've shared today in our show have in common? Well, it's the uncertainty that accompanies certainty. Because life works in oppositions, doesn't it? We've got day and night. We've got what you might identify as good or bad. Black and white. Love and hate. Certainty and uncertainty and we established last week that certainty is our need for stability and safety and security and for some of us it's comfort order predictability control consistency well uncertainty is the opposite and most of us don't like it we don't like it it's the unplanned events in life that unless we realize they're happening And unless we realize that they're always possible in every darn situation, we'll keep getting thrown off. In fact, the power within uncertainty, I think, is the attitude you have towards adapting. If you think that when you're planning something that you could consider planning for the uncertain times too, you could be ready for just about everything, even though you don't know what everything is. To me, How exciting. I was like, whoa, I'm ready. Are you? And so we come full circle. So I started today's show introducing the idea of uncertainty, showing how our experiences are determined by our attitude to the situation and the choices we make. I gave examples of real people, real life people who have risen above adversity and they've made decisions about how they want to live. The choice of living in confusion and misery or the choice of living in clarity and satisfaction. And unfortunately, that came at a, a moment in their life where they had already gone to the extreme. But thankfully, they're still here with us to share it. And it all comes down to how they adapted to uncertainty. the not knowing. They're not knowing about tomorrow because today I feel so bad. Now, uncertainty can also be explained as variety depending on, hey, which side of the coin you are. So variety, who doesn't like a bit of variety, huh? Yeah, and that's uncertainty as well because with each various thing, you don't know what it's going to be like. But what if you could interpret your world as actually not uncertain, but just various? It's all about how you wish to interpret it. It's about the stories that you're telling yourself. It's about the beliefs that you've grown up with that have been put around you, the, 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 belie- the, the clothing of beliefs that other people have put on you that you have the choice to now that you're an adult to say actually I don't want to wear that I don't believe that being gay is wrong for example but people around me do I don't believe that having a bulldog terrier means that it's going to protect me for the rest of my life and eat everybody else up when it comes into contact with it But the people around who have those dogs might have expressed that that's their belief and that's maybe why you want one. But actually, I don't don't really believe that's why I want one, because it looks good and I like it. You don't have to believe what you presently believe. It can change. So an uncertain situation can be a problem. Oh, of course it can be. But isn't that down to how you want to resolve it? Or it can be a pleasant surprise. Sugar, didn't see that coming. Right, what do I do with that now? You decide irrespective of the experience. And remember... Life has no meaning except the meaning you attach to it. Life has no meaning at all. Because if it did, if it had the same meaning, we would all be living the same type of life. But everybody interprets life differently and approaches it in different ways. And you have the choice to live a life that allows you to be as successful and positive and upwardly mobile as you wish to be. No one can ever take that away from you. And You think about Nelson Mandela incarcerated for all that amount of time, yet when he came out, what did he want to do? He wanted to unite the people who had incarcerated him. That's a mentality, an approach, and an attitude that sees the bigger picture, that it doesn't have to be that way again. I can make change by uniting us. So that's the thing that I'm really encouraging you to to, to, to consider today, is that whatever emotional turmoil you're going through right now, You don't have to go through it tomorrow. You might need some help and you've got to reach out for it because some things you cannot do on your own. And because you're so much in it, that phrase, you can't see the wood for the trees, you just can't see what is available, what opportunities there are, what different ways of thinking. And maybe you need someone who can support that process. And that can be a coach, that can be a mentor that can be uh, usually someone professional if you're at that very very extreme end now I'd love to know if today has been useful for you and I'd love it if the only thing that you left today show with was the new belief that you are in control of your emotions and that whatever you're experiencing right now once you've identified the emotion remember your emotions list that's a tool you're coming away with today you have the power to change it you really do I mean, the Buddha knew this over 2,500 years ago. He knew that nothing can hurt you more than an untrained mind and nothing can help you more than a well-trained mind. If you think about the mind with 100,000 billion neurons firing at nearly 200 miles an hour in the brain, resulting in about 20% of our daily calorific burn and the, the brain only weighs three pounds, which is less than 2% of the whole human body's weight. It's very light, but there's a lot going on in there. We have the most sophisticated machine known to humankind, mankind. It, it, it's amazing. And we're not even using 10% of it, I believe. So now add all of that that's going on in the mind to the way we get stuck in a thought loop, like a needle stuck on a scratch, on a record you know at the beginning of the record think about that you put the needle down remember record players you put the needle down it starts and then it just flips back again it starts and then it just flips back again it starts and it just flips back again and it's unable to play the rest of the track so so many of you are actually denied the ability and the opportunity to explore who you are when you're in a state that is stuck that is on a loop that takes you around and around so that you cannot get past the scratch. 70 to 90% of our thoughts are reoccurring thoughts. And when they're unpleasant, it's at the higher percentage end because the mind loves to focus on the negative to keep us safe. But this is what the mind does, as I've said earlier. And the sooner we realize this, the sooner it can become your friend. So here's your homework. Source your emotions list, beautiful creative. Print it, take a picture of it, put it on your phone, carry it with you wherever you go and take the first step towards befriending your mind to create mental ease and emotional understanding. Get to know your emotions. If anything in this show has affected you, you can also reach out to me via direct message on social media at Embodied Entrepreneur. Or if it's something that's very immediate, you can always contact the Samaritans free on 116... 123. That's the Samaritans 116 one, if it's something that's immediate. Now I'd love to hear from you about how today has served you, how what you've listened to has served you. Please do reach out to me on Instagram. Be my friend and share your experience of the show and even use your emotions list to determine your feelings about the show. Yay! Practice. Keep practicing and practice away from crisis so that when crisis happens you are ready and good to go. And what do you want to hear on future shows? How can I serve you? How can I ensure that my army of experts who are out there, who I can get in here as guests on things to support what I'm saying, offering you solutions? What is it that they can talk about that's going to serve your everyday concerns as a creative? So thank you so much for listening. Follow me on Instagram, Facebook linkedin and twitter find me via my name nicolette wilson clark or at embodied entrepreneur twitter at embodied entrepreneur that's it (laughs) and then please do share today's show and keep sharing so that more creatives can benefit from understanding their own emotions so they can do what they do and there'll be a postcard podcast of this show a little bit later on in the next couple of weeks so then that's how you can pass it on okay so thank you so much for listening today it's always a pleasure to serve you and until next week keep creating